This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The Night Sky for December 2018. Well, of course, the great thing is we have long nights, so lots of time to observe the heavens, hoping, of course, it's clear. Well, after sunset, the great square of Pegasus is setting over towards the western horizon. Above it, towards the zenith, is the constellation of Cassiopeia, the W. And as I've said before, if you take the right-hand V of the W, quite prominent, it points directly down towards the Andromeda galaxy. It's one of the ways of finding it. If you go to the centre of Cassiopeia and down to the left, you come towards Perseus. And between the two is the rather lovely double cluster, which you can see as a fuzzy blob in binoculars, and it looks lovely in a small telescope. And in Perseus, we have the bright star Murfak, but also the star Algol, the demon star. It winks. It's actually an eclipsing binary. Moving further down towards the southeast is the bright star Capella. And that, of course, is above the lovely constellation Taurus, with the Hyades cluster and the Pleiades cluster. In the Hyades cluster, there's a bright red star, Aldebaran, which actually isn't part of the cluster. It's about halfway between us and it. And I'm going to come back to those two later in the talk. And then rising over in the east are the heavenly twins, Castor and Pollux, in the constellation of Gemini. So it's actually rather lovely part of the sky to look at this month. Well, what about the planets? Well, Jupiter actually passed between the sun on November the 26th, so obviously not visible for the first part of the month, but it will appear very low in the eastern pre-dawn sky around the 12th of the month, when it will have a magnitude of about minus 1.8 and a disk 32 arc seconds across. So it's not a particularly good month to observe Jupiter, but there is a highlight I'll come to later on. Now again, Saturn, that might just be glimpsed in the first few days of December, very low in the southwest, about 4.45pm. But it soon disappears into the sun's glare as it moves towards superior conjunction, that's behind the sun, on January the 2nd. We'll have a disk of about 15 arc seconds across, and a magnitude of plus 0.5. So that's obviously not a good month, really, for Saturn. In contrast, it's a good apparition for Mercury. It actually passed between us and the Sun, that's called inferior conjunction, on the 27th of November, but appears in the pre-dawn sky around the 6th of the month, having then a magnitude of plus 0.5, which increases to magnitude 0, or 0, by the 8th. It reaches its greatest elongation west of the sun on the 16th, when it's 21 degrees away from the sun, then rising over an hour and a half before the sun, at which point it's actually 60% lit. Now, the good thing is that at this time of the year, the morning ecliptic is at a steep angle to the horizon. So this makes it a very excellent apparition, and Mercury rises quite high into the sky. Now Mars, 
Well, though fading from magnitude minus 0 to plus 0.4 during the month, it remains prominent in the southern sky as it starts the month at an elevation of 27 degrees in Aquarius. It will lie due south at around 6 p.m. As the month progresses, it moves eastwards into Pisces on the 21st, slightly higher in elevation and due south about 5.30 p.m. As it moves away, its angular size falls from 9.3 arc seconds to 7.5 arc seconds. So it'll become pretty hard to spot any details, such as Certis Major, on its salmon pink surface. Well, Venus begins December at an elevation of about 32 degrees. This is seen in the east before dawn, with a dazzling magnitude of minus 4.9, as bright as ever gets. Its angular size reduces from 40.7 to 26.6 arc seconds during the month as it moves away from the Earth. But at the same time, the percentage illuminated disk, that's called the phase, increases from 26% to 47%, which is why the brightness only reduces down to about minus 4.6 magnitudes. It will reach greatest elongation from the Sun on January the 6th. Well, finally, what about the highlights? Well, I think there are two really standout ones. Firstly, this month we have a chance of seeing a naked eye comet. Comet 46P Worth Tannen rises high in the sky and could become visible to our unaided eye. On the night sky page, just search night sky jodrell, I put a chart showing you where you can see the comet during the month. It's rising from Ophiuchus through Taurus and then into Auriga. A particular night to look for it is the 16th, 17th of December, when it will pass between the Pleiades and the Hyades cluster, and that will make a wonderful photo opportunity. I just do hope it's clear. On the night of the 24th, it will lie very, very close to Capella in Auriga, but sadly then, the moon is at full so perhaps not so easily visible. At closest approach, on the night of the 16th of December, it will only be 30 times further away than the moon, and that is pretty close. The coma should then be about one kilometre across in size and span about one degree. The waxing gibbous moon will hinder our view early on that night, but will set at about 1 a.m., so that's the night when it's well worth staying up late for, or possibly setting the alarm clock and getting up at about one o'clock in the morning. On December the 3rd, before dawn, Venus lies below a very thin crescent moon. So looking southeast before dawn, again if clear, we could easily spot Venus, very, very bright, lying below this very thin crescent moon. And Spica, that's Alpha Virginis in Virgo, is over to the right of Venus, making a very nice photo opportunity. And this is the other, I think, highlight of the month, real highlight. December the 7th, one hour after sunset. A very close conjunction of Mars and Neptune. So if it's clear, looking south after sunset, you'll easily spot Mars at about 28 degrees elevation. But when it gets fully dark, either using binoculars or a small telescope, Neptune should appear just down to its lower right. 
So that's a great opportunity to find Neptune easily if you haven't seen it before. Just let's hope it's clear. On December the 14th, after sunset, Mars will lie four degrees above a first quarter moon. That's looking south after sunset. Then we have the first of two meteor showers this month. On the nights of the 14th and 15th, after midnight, there's a chance to see the Geminid meteor shower. The moon's at first quarter and will set around 11pm. So when Gemini is highest in the sky, its light will not hinder our view. They can often produce near fireballs, so the shower is well worth observing if you have a chance. Obviously, try and get well away from a town or city. They're quite slow-moving meteors, which arise from the debris released by the asteroid 3200 Firton. And that's pretty unusual, as virtually all meteors come from comets. As you might expect from the title, the radiant, which is where the meteors appear to come from, is close to the bright star Castor in the constellation of Gemini, as shown on the chart in the night sky page. If it's clear, it will be cold, so wrap up well, wear a woolly hat and have some hot drinks with you. On December the 21st, just before dawn, Jupiter and Mercury are together with Venus lying above. Again, a nice photo opportunity. We have a second meteor shower on the mornings of December the 22nd, 23rd, called the Ursiad meteor shower. And it's not surprising that the radiant of that shower is in fact close to the star Kokab in Ursa Minor. So it's looking northwards at high elevation to see them. It's not the best shower. The peak rate's only about 10 to 15 meters per hour. And sadly, this year, of course, we have a full moon on the 21st. So perhaps not the best year to observe the Earth's years. Finally, I usually mention something on the moon. And on late night, December the 16th, and then the following night, the 17th, two great lunar craters are close to the Terminator, when they show up best. And these are Tycho and Copernicus. Tycho is towards the bottom of the moon in a densely cratered area called the Lunar Southern Highlands. It's a relatively young crater, about 108 million years old. It is interesting in that it is thought to be informed by the impact of one of the remnants of an asteroid that gave rise to the asteroid Baptistina. Another asteroid originating from the same breakup may well have caused the Chicxulub crater 65 million years ago. Anyway, Tycho has a diameter of 85 kilometers and is nearly 5 kilometers deep. At full moon, the rays of material that were ejected when it was formed can be seen arcing across the surface. In contrast, Copernicus is about 800 million years old and lies in the eastern part of Oceanus Procolarum, just beyond the end of the Apennine mountain chain. It's 93 kilometers across and nearly four kilometers wide. There's a classic terrace crater. Both can be seen with binoculars. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's Haratina Mogasanu with the night sky where you are. 
Kia ora from New Zealand. Hi everyone. We're here at Space Place at Cat Observatory in the heart of Wellington in the Southern Hemisphere, my favorite place to be. I'm Haritina Mogoshanu. And I'm Samuel Leski. Space Place is one of the historical icons of New Zealand in terms of astronomy, located in the heart of our capital city. There's not many capital cities where the Milky Way is visible on a dark night, so we're very lucky in Wellington to have a city not totally given over to light pollution. Yeah, we're very lucky here, and we have amazing historical telescopes, a 23-centimeter Cook built in 1867 that we use for public viewing, and we also have a retro Boller and Juven 16-inch telescope. The Cook has quite a story behind it and how it got to New Zealand and eventually how it ended up in Wellington, and it has been a very important telescope for research, including being used to photograph the Halley's Comet in 1910. And also on display is a James Short telescope. We only look at this one and not through it. It's locked in the displays. It's a very important telescope, and we believe it came here with Captain Cook. It was donated by Adam Reed, and he's the son of Peter Reed, who was the creator and presenter of New Zealand's night sky TV show in the 1960s. We also have a beautiful planetarium where I spend a lot of my time. If you ever wish to find us, Space Place is at the top of the Botanic Gardens, looking out to the harbour. And surrounded by flowers and New Zealand birds that are amazing. So you can imagine the views and the sound both day and night. We actually have a bunch of New Zealand owls in a tree right in the front of us. They're called Mopork and we can always hear them when we look through the telescopes. We have some instructions for you as to what to do with the December night sky. For those of us who don't read instructions, we just have some amazing stuff that we wish to share. And those who do neither instructions nor stories, here's the gossip. Did you know there's going to be a comet in the December night sky? How about a meteor shower and a full moon and the summer solstice? And did you know that this Christmas we celebrate 50 years since we went around the moon? Oh yeah, and also in December, the Americans are aiming to land a probe on an asteroid and get a sample. And my favourite, someone has calculated all the starlight that adds up in the universe. So starting this month, we'll be fully informed about how many photons are actually reaching the Earth since the dawn of time. Or so they say. So in December, here is what you need to do. Look for the comet around the 16th of December. It should appear on the eastern horizon, just in between the Pleiades and the Hyades. Perhaps take a picture of it too, just because you can, it's going to be really bright. Keep an eye on our site for instructions for how to do that if you need help. Look for the meteor shower anytime between 7 and 17 of December. That it, yeah, you're right, it's almost in the same time as the comet. It is the Gemini, so the radiant, the point in the sky that seems to rain stars, will be in the constellation Gemini. With the full moon, now depends if you're into moonlight or not. I'm not, it casts too much light and I cannot see the stars properly, so I'm trying to avoid it as much as I can. The good news is that the first two weeks are good for observing since the new moon will be on the 7th of December. The awesome thing is that this month's full moon will coincide with the Apollo 8's 50 years around the moon celebration. Just a few days before that, at 11.23 precisely a.m. on a Saturday, 22nd of December, Earth will be at its maximum tilt towards the sun. What does it mean for us? Well, it will be the shortest night, and with the moon almost full, best thing we can do is just celebrate light.
Speaking of which, our sun went stealth. It's in a minimum of a minimum. But just because we can't see any spots on it, it doesn't mean there is nothing to learn about it. The Parker Solar Probe has now joined the rest of the successful missions out there, and we're looking forward to some good data from it. Since December is the month of major celebrations, we thought a star party might be in order. Star party? Well, if you've never been to one, here's a great opportunity. It could be a moon party if it's around Christmas, or else a star party could work around the 7th of December, more or less a few days. Now, the trick is the night is extremely short. We wanted to photograph 47 Tucano the other day, and we had to wait until 9.22pm. And even then, there wasn't good enough, it wasn't dark enough for proper imaging, only for lining up. <clears throat> so your efforts might be best conserved to try and find the comet. Here's a comet party. We don't get these too often. And I do remember a few years ago, a comet appeared in the New Zealand sky around this time. It was fun, and it wasn't as bright as this one. We needed telescopes in to see it, and this one is a naked eye comet. So comet party seems like a good idea. The best time to look at it is just after sunset on the 16th of December, and it'll have a magnitude of approximately three. What does that mean? It means that we can see it with the naked eye. Have you ever tried to pronounce a comet name? It's nope. 46 P. W-I-R-T-A-N-I-N. Go pronounce that in one word. P stands for periodic, and 46 is, that's the 46th to be discovered. In case you were wondering, the first ever was Halley's Comet. Virtanen will arrive from the direction of Cetus Eridani, and it is very tiny, only 1.2 kilometers in diameter. Virtanen has a short period too, 5.4 years. What's cool is that this comet was the original target for ESA's Rosetta spacecraft, but the launch window was missed, so they sent the probe to another comet with an even better name, just because it's longer and harder to pronounce. 67P Churimov-Gerasimenko. I have no hope of pronouncing that one. <laughs> right, so what's a magnitude 3? Well, if you've ever managed to spot the famous galaxy Andromeda, or M31, then you have the answer. It looks a little bit like in brightness as Andromeda Galaxy. Now that you know where to look and what you might find, the comet can be your centerpiece for the comet party. But nothing says that you shouldn't look at the stars and deep sky objects. Now New Zealand is a great spot for observing the night sky. And we of course get the whole southern sky. But it's also we get a reasonable chunk of the northern sky as well. We can't see the stalwarts of the northern sky, such as the Big Dipper, and there's no taking in the beautiful face-on spirals such as M51, the Whirlpool Galaxy, or M101, the Pinwheel Galaxy. At this time of the year, the nights are getting shorter and shorter, and the telescopes of the early evening are being swapped with barbecues, and the smell of lithium grease is being replaced with the smell of burnt sausages. But while some of our fellow Wellingtonians are going to bed or spinning embellished stories around the embers of their barbecue, we are cracking open the space place domes and collecting some ancient photons. Some favourites of mine are visible in the night sky, and the early part of the month will be an ideal time to try and see them, given the moon will be well hidden. The first of these is M74, and unfortunately, despite all the aperture we have available at space place, we're not going to see this one, because visually it is very, very low surface brightness. We'll have to borrow the van and take the portable mead over the hills to the very dark skies of the wire wrapper to see this beautiful face-on spiral. Luckily it's not all bad for galaxy hunting in December. 
is not too far from M74 is the bright galaxy of M77, also known as Cetus A. This one is easy to spot even from central Wellington. We won't see the faint outer, outer regions of the spiral arms, but the bright active core is very visible, and at 33 million light years distance, the photons from this object have spent a long time making their way to us here in Wellington. Despite not having M51 and M101 to look at, we do have some very impressive galaxies in the southern sky. One of these is NGC 253, also known as the Sculptor Galaxy. This is a large spiral galaxy at an angle to us, so it looks like an elongated ellipse. It's relatively bright and easy to spot if you've got plenty of aperture. You'll have to put your light bucket on the back of your scooter and head to a dark sky location to make out much detail though. But if you do, you'll be in for a treat as you take in the complex shapes and clumps of visible detail around the disk. Sculptor is about 12 million light years away and appears about 27 arc minutes long, so it's quite big. Quite close to Sculptor is the tight spiral galaxy known as NGC 300. This is a great galaxy to view, as it's quite close at only 6.6 million light years, so really next door. For northern sky observers, it's a bit like a mini M33, the Triangulum Galaxy. Viewing from Wellington will show the bright core, but you'll have to head to the hills again to get any detail out of the spiral arms. Keen astrophotographers will have a better time in Wellington, as this galaxy is bright enough to burn through the light pollution and produce quite a nice photo. The problem with viewing galaxies is they don't really look anything like the beautiful photographs that people take. They're often just a faint grey smudge in the eyepiece. And you have to use your best visual observing skills and imagination to get any detail out of what you're looking at. This is when it's great to swing the telescope around to the majestic brilliance of the likes of the Tarantula Nebula. This gives you a picture in the eyepiece very similar to what photographers can capture, just not in colour. This big giant bright complex of gas clouds and massive stars looks a bit like a spider, hence its name, and it's a must-see of the southern sky, and is almost compulsory viewing on any observing evening. Right, and if all the above fails, you could always have a moon party. That could be really spectacular, since 50 years ago the first people orbited around the moon these were the astronauts of Apollo 8. There were some amazing things that happened during that flight, including taking the picture that changed the world, Earthrise. One little picture that is credited as the most important legacy of the Apollo program, showing Earth half hanging in the shadow and suspended in the middle of nothing at all. Humans saw their planet for the first time as a whole world, a small, blue, finite globe, in the distance. It is the image that it's credited with starting the environmental movement and has been used as a hopeful symbol of global unity. So we think if you're going to have a moon party this December is going to be pretty cool and a star party for that matter and a comet party too. Keep an eye on our website. We're going to put more content there, links to all these event to a movie that it's about the story of how the Apollo moon picture was taken and Sam's instructions how to find deep sky objects. There's one more thing that I want to talk about, Mars. Mars will always have a special place in my heart and now has a new resident, Insight. Insight was the mission that brought the first CubeSats to Mars and now it sits happily on the red planet, stretching its arms, literally. 
So we wish you happy hunting for comets and galaxies this month. And if all that doesn't work, then grab yourself a couple of craters on the moon. Clear skies from Haritina and Sam here at Space Place at Carter Observatory in Wellington, New Zealand. And see you next year.